Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. In today's discussion, we're going to turn our attention to a U.S. District Court ruling from late 2019 is when it came out in the District of Massachusetts dealing with uh, the search of electronic devices, including cell phones and laptops, uh, primarily at U.S. airports and borders. So a lot of different factors rolling into this one. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And today with our leading contributor to this podcast series, Lavelle Law Attorney James Dorr, we'll take a, take a look at a, an important case. Um, and James, I I know you and I have had this case on our list for a while, so I'm looking forward to the opportunity to discuss it today. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time, and this should be a good one. Oh, you're welcome, Jim. And I think it's time we uh, we get this case off our list and get it get it discussed because it's there's some good issues here. Yeah. Um, so this one originally filed, I believe, by the ACLU on behalf of 11 plaintiffs collectively. Um, share with us what you can about not only the plaintiffs but who the defendants were in this case. It's important with this decision that the class of the plaintiffs is important. Here we have 11 plaintiffs, and this is a civil suit. So we've got plaintiffs mm-hmm. uh, uh, are the citizens on one side. So you have 10, 10 citizens as plaintiffs um, and one lawful permanent resident. So basically 11 uh, people who have the equivalent of citizens' rights in this country. The, the defendants in this case were officials with the um, with ICE and with the Border Patrol, CPD. So the, 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 the basically they represented the government agencies who um, implemented the policies and procedures that were challenged by the plaintiffs in this case. And, and those policies and procedures involved searches of electronic devices. And, again, with 11 of them, there were multiple instances. Can you kind of just summarize what a couple of the key findings were? Uh, the key findings, or the key claims, mean in the, in the, I should say, the key claims. Right. Yeah, what 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 the sure. uh, what the plaintiffs were were after. Yeah. Well, they had every every plaintiff is a little bit different in the facts presented, but it, essentially they were all at, stopped at the border, uh, either a, mm-hmm. either an airport or at the, the uh, proper border. All are are, are considered uh, ports of entry, so uh, equal status as far as the government searching people is, is concerned. So the equivalent. Um, they were all detained and had electronic devices searched, uh, and some of the devices were confiscated. Some, you know, there was different details in all of them, but eventually they were, you know, but essentially they were all delayed at the border, had their devices, uh, electronic devices searched, you know, cell phones, computer, laptops, whatnot, and they were detained during the, the, the that procedure. Yeah. Now, in in the in the uh, case itself, they referred to. Uh, basic and advanced searches, and there was uh, some of the plaintiffs had certain claims about advanced searches. Can you tell us just the difference between basic and advanced searches in these situations? Right, and it, it, on this one, it's probably easiest if I turn to the page in the in the case. But it, the um, it, it's easy to explain uh, the basic search because it's it's what's not an advanced search. So the advanced okay. search in this case, and now the advanced search is defined under the, the rules. The guidelines promulgated by the agency. So in, in this policy, that, and I'll read the language, an advanced search is any search in which an officer connects an internal equipment through a wired or wireless connection to an electronic device, not merely to gain access to the device, but to review, copy, or analyze its contents. So 
it's it, advanced search is is uh, more invasive. It involves uh, connecting the electronic device by whatever means, uh, so it can be analyzed, you know, and copied and, mm-hmm. and all that. So, and then the the rules, uh, basic search is any search that's not an advanced search. So that's how they <laughs> that's how they define that. So the court in that did lead to some of the problems eventually that the agencies faced with the court. The fact that basic search is not necessarily defined, other than well, it's a search that's not an advanced search. Um, and, and I think that's it's very interesting because, as you say, it you know, not having a, a strong definition is one thing, but you know, those advanced searches, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit. I think the plaintiffs, some of them, were claiming that not only were their devices, you know, searched, but the data was downloaded from those devices and, and actually saved by ICE or these different organizations. And that, that takes it to an entirely different level, doesn't it? Well, right. And, and some of the plaintiffs incorporated that into their argument that, 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 that when they, uh, the devices were searched and that information was retained, it's retained to be used at them. It could be used against that same plaintiff the next time they cross the border. Okay? So, and that's one of the reasons that the plaintiffs survived uh, a summary judgment motion on the part of the government, you know, is they were able to show, hey, this is this is has been used against us, and it's likely to be used in the future against similarly situated plaintiffs and these plaintiffs. So, and that 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 helped them survive that motion, the challenge by the government. Now, I know uh, we always like to frame our conversations uh, in terms of the Constitution. And uh, frequently, uh, when we're talking about searches, we refer to the 14th Amendment. There were 14th Amendment claims in this, as well as First Amendment uh, violation claims by the plaintiff. So so uh, two different amendments. Um, your thoughts on how those were applied in this particular case? Well, like the cases we discuss a lot, the 14th Amendment looms large. That's 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 one of the big boys out there, right? And it's mm-hmm. and it's applying mm-hmm. uh, the Fourth Amendment search and seizure. Uh, uh, clause in this case, so the, the the Fourth Amendment is always always important to us uh, in in the terms of limiting government's um, invasion of our privacy rights as citizens. Um, now, in this case, the First Amendment was also discussed, but I think the judge kind of uh, got away from that. It, it didn't necessarily need, did she need to rule on the First Amendment uh, um, cause of action because she said. I can't grant any more relief than I'm granting already for the Fourth Amendment <laughs> violation I'm finding. So she kind of didn't need to get into that. But I think it, it left that issue open with the First Amendment because uh, there's there's a lot of uh, information that be, can, can be contained on a cell phone or laptop. Again, they, they describe the cell phones as mini computers, right? Essentially, any data mm-hmm. you can have, you can have a warehouse versus information there. So you, that would be conceivably you would have a First Amendment right to that information, um, you know, political thoughts, religious thoughts. Uh, uh, there's other th- factors that were involved here, um, the wearing of he- headscarves uh, for religious reasons and the fact that sure. uh, there was pictures in here that, that, that were women were without their headscarves and they did not want men not in their family to view that in public. So there's a very legitimate religious reason here. So the court mm-hmm. got away from that. Just said, "Look, I, we got enough here with the Fourth Amendment. We're st- we're sticking on that, and you know, it, it, we're going to rule. It, I can't rule, uh, provide any more relief than I'm already granting uh, for that violation." Now, we often talk about the need for a warrant when doing searches. Um, I think you alluded to it already. Is there a claim here that a border 
agent or an airport security agent checking these things? Do they have, you know, the capability, the jurisdiction to do that, or are these, in fact, considered warrantless searches? Well, this, and this brings us back to the Fourth Amendment. In our previous podcast, we've talked about this a lot, that you know, warrantless searches are, are considered per se unreasonable under the Constitution. So we're starting with that, with that, that premise. But like anything in the law, there's the rule, and then there's the exceptions that uh, almost establish the rule. So you'll have certain mm-hmm. uh, um, narrowly crafted exceptions to the, the warrant requirements of the Constitution. And you know, like we've seen with vehicle searches in the past, there's a lesser expectation of privacy in a vehicle that you're on the street as opposed to uh, the privacy interests in your own home. So there's, there's different standards that the courts will apply in situations like that. Um, one of the cases is a search incident to arrest, which brings that Riley decision that is later discussed in, in this case. So the, the um, exceptions are important, and the border search is one of those exceptions to the warrant requirement of the Constitution. And basically, um, it's an extension of, of, and we're getting down to some common law stuff, so no <laughs> old English common law here, but the sovereign. So the sovereign yeah. controls the borders. They control who enters and what may enter the country. So that's a very, um, very big right on the part of the government there. The sovereign controls the borders, right? But then the exception comes in, all right? So you have to balance, and the court will balance individuals' privacy interests versus uh, whether or not there's a legitimate government purpose in the search and whether the search is reasonably tailored to advance that government interest. So there's always a balancing test that the the courts will engage in uh, in in determining these constitutional rights. Is this this action on the part of the, the government is it appropriate? Is it reasonable? That's it. Is it reasonable? It's going to come down to uh, almost always in these cases. So we're uh, we're talking with uh, James Dore today from LaBelle Law and just kind of flying through this conversation as we always do. It's a very important case. And um, I always want to share James' phone number at 847-705-7555 or LaBelleLaw.com when you want to learn more, get more information uh, in any number of different uh, situations, uh, legal cases, things that he can assist you with. Um, and, and you mentioned there the border exception, uh, which uh, you know goes back centuries, really. But you also earlier referred to uh, the Riley case, Riley versus California, that the court relied on. Um, can you share a little bit of information about the, that Riley case and why it was applicable here? Well, sure. And, and the court did use the Riley decision, Riley versus California. And precisely because there's not a lot of precedent for her to use for this ruling, okay? So she had to find something analogous to it. And in this case, the Riley case concerned a search incident to arrest, which we know is one of the exceptions to the warrant requirement, one of that type of of area. Um, So she compared that and used an analogy to this situation in rendering a ruling. Um, Because, you know, it it goes back to the rights of the government to do these kind of searches. It it was established by, by, you know, uh, federal in the U.S. code, I think since 17... 89 or 1790, 1790, I think. So as old as this court that ruled on this, this statute is, right? (laughs) So there's interest that have lasted a long time in the law right there. And this is kind of, this is a new uh, little twist here. uh, And and it's using the Riley case and the analysis in that uh, uh, search incident to arrest where there's an electronic uh, search of electronic devices. And they call that a computer strip search, basically. 
So they found that the search is invasive in that case, and basically um, the judge ruled that this is this is similar, this is analogous, and this although it's not direct precedent, it's it it, it guides the the legal principles in this case. Well, it's, that's one of the fascinating things about this, and why our discussions are so enjoyable. You reference you know. A, uh, something in law going back to 1790 um, in which the government was trying to protect, as you said, who comes in or what sort of contraband comes into the country. They couldn't have envisioned electronic devices back then, and yet you know, parts of that law are still applicable and, and used, which, uh, which really makes for um, you know, great discussion and, and certainly a lot of work for attorneys like yourself. Uh, give me just a quick recap because we're talking about the case. What, what exactly did the judge rule here, and what was the outcome of the case? All right. Well, the, 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 the relief that the, the plaintiffs were seeking, uh, they wanted the, the information expunged, uh, uh, among other things. And the relief granted by the judge was a declaratory judgment. So there's basically there's a statement, there's a declaration, and that's the ruling. And I, I have the exact declaration here, and it goes, hang on. Um, and this refers to the, the Border Patrol policies and ICE policies. Um, policies... Um, requires reasonable suspicion that the uh, that the uh, device contains contraband um in, in order to the uh, basically a, a search of this devices without reasonable suspicion violates the fourth amendment so even though it's at the border um without reasonable suspicion um, basically you need a, an articulable basis to search the device it's it's considered a violation of the fourth amendment all right so the policies that they promulgated with the advanced search versus basic search versus all that, they're saying that, that without reasonable suspicion, your policies don't entitle you to get around the warrant requirement. You still need reasonable suspicion, right? But And then there's a big qualifier, unless national security is involved, because that never was touched. Yeah, well, and again, uh, we, we try and cover as much as we can here, but um, there are certainly things like that that we need to dive into and talk uh, further on cases like this. We'll continue to do that every month with James Dore and um, appreciate his time today. A couple of things we didn't even get to today, so we're going to tee those up for future conversations. Um, before I let him go, let me again remind you, uh, you can reach James at uh, 847-705-7555 or visit lavellelaw.com for articles, videos, podcasts, as well as uh, just uh, some information on the various aspects of the services that James provides. So thanks to him for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll certainly uh, look forward to another uh, quick and vigorous discussion in the, in the weeks ahead. Thanks for being here.